the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we should live in the light of the fact that Christ Jesus is coming back and how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Let's give our attention now to God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 12, and let's remember as we hear this, this is God's Word. This is God's inspired Word. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may... Your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. First Thessalonians is an interesting book. I think that you've probably seen that all throughout. I think that you can see that here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. One of the reasons that 1 Thessalonians is unique and interesting in the way that it functions as a book is that a lot of New Testament books have a significant amount of instruction in the form of commands that are given usually throughout the second half of the book, but oftentimes spread out through a number of chapters. In 1 Thessalonians, that's not the case. Paul crams almost all of the commands in the entire book into 10 verses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You see, he's, um, he spent a lot of time expressing how thankful he is for the Thessalonian church and how he wonders at God's goodness and grace and mercy that the church is still there, that it's still continuing, that it's still surviving, even in the midst of persecution and opposition. He spends a lot of time talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that is ours who trust in the Lord Jesus because death is not the final word for everyone who trusts in Christ Jesus. 
And it's almost like he's run out of time and he realizes, oh no, I've got to get the commands in. And so he just runs through, he just rips through a bunch of commands uh, like, a, like a stream as we come to the end of the book. And just notice all of, the, all of the commands that he crams in here to 10 verses. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them highly in love. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. That's 16 commands in 10 verses. And then it's followed by a really beautiful benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Rapid fire commands, a beautiful benediction. And as we reflect on this closing section of scripture, we realize it's not just the hastily written down or scribbled down words of an apostle that realized he's run out of time and needs to get a bunch of commands in in a brief period of time. You can see that there is a driving theme throughout the whole thing. And you can pick it up through a command that's given at the very beginning and through the way that he refers to the Lord. Right near the beginning, after he talks about the way that we're supposed to respect those who are in authority over us in the church, he gives this command before this series of commands. He says, be at peace among yourselves. And then there's a series of commands. And then he says in his benediction, now may the God of peace himself. And so there's a driving message throughout this section of scriptures. And, uh, and the message is peace. The point of this passage is that we might have peace. And so in the part that we're going to look at today, verses 12 through 15, we can see that one of the ways that we can operate in peace within the church, within God's community, within God's family, is by respecting leaders and by honoring each other. And so those are going to be the two points of the message today, that peace is ours in the church through respecting leaders and through honoring each other. And that's what we'll be talking about now. So at the very beginning of the passage, we're told that peace can come, that peace comes to the church by respecting leaders. Now, uh, God has called elders and pastors and deacons to be in authority in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this might be difficult for us in our cultural context. We might not like the idea of certain men being vested with authority over all of the congregation. We love to stress the, the truth of the priesthood of all believers, and this is an important truth. Let me be clear at the outset that it's very good for every believer to develop their gifts, to use their gifts for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer has a calling to the office of believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer is called to minister within the church in the ways that they're called to. But we're called to minister, believers are called to minister under the authority of the pastors and the elders and the deacons. And the call of every Christian in the congregation is to respect those who are over us in the Lord and who admonish us. Now, let me just at the outset acknowledge a little bit of the uncomfortability of preaching this text of scripture, right? My message for you today is respect me. That's kind of an uncomfortable thing to say. Respect me, respect Dan, respect the other leaders insofar as we're occupying the office. This is an uncomfortable thing to say. So let's just own that. But let's see what it is that the scriptures say, and let's believe and follow what it is that the scriptures say. So there are, uh, there are 
There are those chosen by God, the ones that serve in the office of pastor and elder and deacon, those who serve, serve in the Lord. And we can see this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And so this is important because the, the call that's given to us is that those who are, are in positions of authority within scriptures are in that position in the Lord. Now, there are two things that it's important for us to take from this teaching that it's in the Lord. And the first is that it's the Lord that calls pastors to their task and elders to their task and deacons to the task. And the Christian Reformed Church has acknowledged this and owned this. And you can see this in the way that the CRC does its own forms for ordination. Now, one of the things that happened to me as a part of my life within this congregation is that I was ordained to the ministry. And when Dan came and served here, he was installed to the ministry. And we had the same form that was read and used in that installation. And a similar one is used when elders and deacons are installed. Now, we can pull that up and just take a little bit of a look at that. Um, There are questions that are offered to the minister before he's ordained. And this is what the form in the CRC says. It says, brother, name. Now, that was Derek at first and then Dan. So, brother, Derek, brother, Dan, in order that all God's people assembled here may witness that you, in the strength of the Lord, accept the responsibilities of this office, you are requested to stand and answer the following questions. And the first one is this. Do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God himself calls you to this holy ministry? Now, note that for a second, because the acknowledgement is, you know, the call that the congregation extends to its pastors is a call not just by democratic fiat, but, but through the, the process of the calling of the church, God is the one that is calling the minister to serve this particular church. And it's the same for elders and deacons. This is a calling that God places on those who have been given authority within Christ's church. And then there's a series of questions, believing in the Old and the New Testament, subscribing to the doctrinal standards of the church. There are some more questions that come up right after that. And uh, so the question is, do you promise to be a faithful minister? Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your calling. Submit to the government and discipline of the church. So ministers themselves submit to the government and discipline of the church, the council of the church. The answer that both Dan and I gave was, I do God helping me. And then the words that are spoken as there's a laying on of hands are this. The minister that's reading this form says, may God, our heavenly father, who has called you to this great and glorious office, enlighten and strengthen and govern you by his word and spirit that you may serve faithfully. And it goes on from there. But notice that again, that the call comes from God. That the authority that the elders and the deacons operate within and the pastors operate with within the context of the church is authority that's given by God. And that's important. Pastors don't serve by the force of their own personality or charisma. And if they do, it's really bad. Pastors serve in the authority of the Lord God, and the same for elders and deacons. There's another thing that this means, though, as well. It also means that my authority as a pastor and the authority of Dan as your pastor, that this and the authority of the elders and the deacons, that it exists only insofar as the Lord has granted authority. It means that we don't have authority in and of ourselves that we exercise. It means that we have authority when we operate in line with God's word. It means that when I preach God's word, I have authority if I am in agreement with God's word. It's one of the reasons that I pray that if anything that I say is not from God's word, that it falls to the ground and that we all forget about it. I'd much rather have you forget about something that I say that's not in line with God's word than put something into practice that I say that's not in line with God's word. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, 
Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Life in the Light of Eternity, discussing how we follow the ways of our Savior as we do life in the light of His return. The authority of the minister and the elders and the pastors is only insofar as God has given authority. So it's part of my responsibility as a minister to say, this is what God is saying. This is how we must live. Insofar as the Bible speaks, I need to speak as well. And speak as one with authority. But I should not tell you, this would be, an, this would be a misuse of the office. If I tried to tell you what you should, should wear each day or what you should have for breakfast or what should make up your lunch or how you, should, how you should interact with your friends, how you should make small talk, if you should you know, make a trade with me in Clash Royale or something like that. If I tell you to do that by virtue of my office, I am not functioning faithfully as a pastor. It's only insofar as I am speaking God's words after him that I as a minister have authority. And so if a pastor, you know, I don't know, gives you investment tips or something like that, don't listen to the pastor. He's a pastor. He's not an investment person. When you see a pastor uh, operating outside the, outside the bounds of the, um, of the authority that God has granted to him, that's a pastor that's not operating appropriately. But insofar as you see a pastor rightly handling the word of truth, as, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, or correcting false teaching, as Titus 1.5-16 says, or visiting the sick and praying over them, as James 5.14 says, you should be thankful. We should be thankful. It's a difficult tr- this is a difficult truth, right? That the pastor is not called to just be a motivational speaker, not just called to be a person who gives you practical tips for everyday life or how to structure your life. He is, however, supposed to tell you what God says and is called to admonish you. That's what the text says as well. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This means that the minister is called to give teaching coming from God, which is directed towards changing a person's moral disposition, the way that we operate morally. Now, um, you might be tempted now to think, wow, that's super arrogant, The pastor's called to tell me how it is that I should change my life. Well, consider this. We live in a time where I think likely, naturally, you could go to a church service and you could hear a minister spend the 30-minute sermon just talking about their own life or their own inclinations or giving uh, solely stories about their own life or being vulnerable, vulnerable about what it is that they've experienced. And you can walk out thinking, wow, that's so vulnerable. That's so humble. But it's not really humble, is it, if the minister has just spent the last half hour preaching himself instead of preaching the Bible? On the other hand, we can walk into a sanctuary, we could sit under the preaching of a minister, and the whole time he says, this is what the Lord says. And then he takes from the scripture and says, this is what God says, so this is how you need to act. And our tendency is probably to leave and be like, how arrogant that he thinks he can tell me how to live my life. When really, it's a, it's a humble thing. It's a humble thing to stand under God's authority and to say, this is how God is calling you to live. And yet our temptation is to reverse that. Now, you might be recoiling in the midst of this sermon because you've seen spiritual authority abused. And if you have, I'm so sorry. I've seen that too. And sometimes people try to reject the notion of authority within a congregation because they've been harmed by authority within a congregation. And it's important to acknowledge that and admit that. I've seen it. And in times where I'm abusing my own authority, I I want to repent of that because I don't want to do that. And there's the dangers. I think there are two 
opposite dangers, the danger of spiritual abuse or of the pastor or the elders trying to take up more authority than the scriptures give to them outside of the bounds that the scriptures give the authority to. Or the problem is to, to um, not respect those that are in authority or to not acknowledge their authority, right? And I think that we can see both of those issues within the history of the church. Now, it, this is something that I found out about when I was in seminary, and maybe some of you knew this, but in the history of the Christian Reformed Church, the minister was called something specific quite a while ago. The minister used to be called Domini. Did anybody ever hear that word? Has anybody ever heard of the minister being called Domini? Yes, I'm getting a couple of knots. I think I got three. Lucas, you know them. Lucas is young, and he knows uh, of the minister being called Domini. I did not know about this. Now, I, I've just got to be honest with you. I think that that whole approach, right, that the minister is the Domini, I think that that is an over-expansive way of thinking about the pastor. Here's the reason. The word Domini, do you know what it means? It means Lord. That is too much for a pastor, to call the pastor Lord. That's too much. And there was this notion, historically, in the Christian Reformed Church, that the Domini operated with a certain sort of domini-ness, right? And let me try to illustrate to you what this means, right? A friend of mine in seminary, at Calvin Seminary illustrated this for me. He was my friend, John Maidendorp, and his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather were all named John Maidendorp. And his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather were all ministers within the Christian Reformed Church. His great-grandfather was my grandfather's pastor in Racine growing up. And uh, great-grandfather John Maidendorp, well, he was the domini, according to great-grandson John Maidendorp. And he said, you would not believe what that meant within the community of Racine. He said, in fact, there's one story about my great-grandfather, how he was doing visitation within the community, and he walked into a barber shop where one of his members was a barber. And, you know, he went through the door and was like, tring, right? And the bell dinged. And the, the member of the congregation is there cutting another person's hair. And the member said, oh, Domini, would you like to cut this man's hair instead of me? You're the Domini. And he said, and my great-grandfather, Domini Maidendorp, said, yes, I think I would like to cut this man's hair. You may sit down. So the barber sat down, and the rest of the haircut was performed by the Domini. Now, let me tell you... <laughs> He wasn't a barber, he was a pastor. And being a domini does not mean you have magical abilities to then be a barber, okay? Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, sometimes the authority is considered overly broad. Don't do the barber work for the barber. Be a pastor. You're called to be a pastor. That's, I think, something of a humorous illustration of how there's an overly broad application of the authority of the pastor. But sometimes it's used in spiritually abusive ways. And if you have experienced that, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the unjust misuse of authority. On the other hand, a lack of respect or saying, who does he think he is to be able to say that to me? That's the other side of it. We're not to ask our office bearers to have overly broad authority, but insofar as they are functioning within the authority that God has given to that office, we should recognize and appreciate the job that church leaders do, and we should hold church leaders in the highest regard in love because of their work. And when I'm not doing my job, or Dan's not doing his job, or the elders or deacons aren't, it's our responsibility to tell us. I don't see a handle in God's word right. Hey, have you been confronting or correcting false teaching? Or hey, you know, I'm sick, or my husband is sick, or my child is sick. Please come and visit us and pray for us. And then the abrupt command, be at peace among yourselves, at the end of verse 13. 
And Greg Beal, who's a commentator, notes that this command seems to be the thing which con- connects both of the sets here. It connects the, the interaction with church leaders, that the church is at peace when we interact with church leaders appropriately, and the church is at peace when we interact with each other correctly. And so that takes us to the second point, peace through honoring each other. So we're told, be at peace among yourselves, and then we're told in an extended way that we're supposed to interact with each other that can lead to peace in our midst. And so first we're told, admonish the idol. Now, the Greek here is talking about the sort of person who is undisciplined or unruly. And the undisciplined or unruly person can have the sort of life that ends up being lazy. They might get life out of control because they're not properly ordering it. They don't plan. They don't prioritize. They don't have a rightly ordered life. They're undisciplined. They're unruly. Those are the sorts of persons that should be admonished by other members within the congregation. There's a focus on idleness for a purpose. It seems that in Thessalonica at this time that some people within the Thessalonian church had simply quit their jobs because of false teaching which said that Jesus had already come or that he would come so soon that it was important not to work anymore. And so some people would quit the jobs that they were doing and they were simply idle. They weren't doing anything. And this idleness can look like laziness, like I said, lots of television watching or time in front of a screen or time being entertained, but idleness of this sort of being undisciplined and unruly, it can also look like one activity after the next, after the next, after the next. You know, we have soccer, and then we have band practice, and then we have play practice, and we have a hubbub of improperly ordered life, which weeds out time spent with the Lord in prayer, which weeds out time of study of scripture. The undisciplined or unorderly or idle person is not regularly in church doesn't follow through, is unreliable. And among the body of believers, each of us needs to lovingly admonish the sort of person that I'm describing. To come to them and say, dear brother or dear sister, it's time for you to order your life. It's time to sort yourself out. It's time to clean your room. Dear brother or dear sister, we miss you when you're not in church. How can I help you make sure that the most important things in life are the things that you're spending the most amount of time on? How can I help you to make sure that your life is ordered to allow for time for that. So we're supposed to admonish the idle, and then we're supposed to encourage the faint-hearted. Now, the faint-hearted are those who are discouraged or fearful or timid, the ones who are afraid. That's who the faint-hearted are. Those who are to be encouraged are the, the people who are scared. Again, this makes sense in Thessalonica, doesn't it? Paul has said over and over again about how they've had to face down opposition for the sake of the gospel. And so no doubt, this is a fearful time to be a Christian, knowing that there's opposition to serving Christ within the city of Thessalonica. And today, no doubt, there are those who are afraid or are timid or are discouraged. And here's the message. We're to encourage that person. Encourage that brother or sister. We're supposed to put our arm around them and say, dear brother, dear sister, I'm here with you. My dear friend, don't be afraid. Dear brother, dear sister, the Lord has got you. The Lord has got you. The Lord has got you. And to all of you who are here today who are afraid, I very likely can't take away your fears, but I can tell you this, that God has got you, that God is for you. Therefore, who can really be against you if God's for you? God's got you. And I should say, too, we're near you, too. If possible, if you're afraid or discouraged, talk to me or talk to an elder or talk to Dan. Talk to another member of the body of believers so that we can encourage each other. Let us stand arm to arm together and shoulder to shoulder together. Let's walk towards the heat 
together. Let's stand against that which is sinful and wrong and evil and fallen in the power of the Spirit together. Dear, faint-hearted Christian, God has got you and will never let you go. And there is no power in the entire universe that is able to separate you from him. So be encouraged. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. That's the next command that's given. Help the weak. Now this obviously is distinct from the faint-hearted. This is, this is distinct from those that are, are weak emotionally. This is distinct from those who have been beaten down by life. This refers to the physically weak, the sick, or the lame, or the blind, or the poor. The church fosters peace when it is aware of those who need strengthening, who need help because they're weak, who may need somebody to open the door for them so they can get into the church building, who may need the church to go through renovation so that a ramp leads onto the platform so that they can access every part of the church building, who may need some help navigating this place because it's new, who may need a financial assistance, who might need a car, who might need a home built. One way that we foster peace is when we care for those who are weak. And I think that this is a place where Orland Park CRC endeavors to excel. I'm amazed at the homes that have been built, the cars that have been given away, the time that is spent, the love that is expressed. Let's continue to endeavor to help the weak. And then be patient with them all. You see, everyone that you're helping, you need to be patient with. God has been patient with you, you see. And so you need to be patient with others. Patience is really hard in this era of immediate gratification. So we need to be reminded, God is incredibly patient with us. We're called to be patient with others as well. And then the final command in this section, the final command that we'll deal with today is see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.